Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that looking back make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song's the focus until we hit play. All right, we've got our work cut out for us. Oh, I am ready to hear the song. You have told me that you have nine pages of notes for this one. We are episode three which means that we have each done an episode, and I have to say, leading into this recording, I was just really happy that I had to do very little research, and I am just along for the ride here. So I'm ready to hear our song three pick. What do we got? Oh, shit. Oh. Legendary. This is such a good song because honestly, if you'd when we start first started talking about this podcast, I did not even think about this song, and I don't know why I didn't because of course I know the song, and this is a perfect example of. Why the fuck was this song famous? It's a hit. Everyone knows it. Everyone loves it. You might know it from the actual band, who I couldn't tell you the name of the band, or you probably know it from like the 14 punk iterations that it's had over its lifetime. Everyone knows this song. Uh, I believe it's 99 Luftballoons, or uh, whatever the actual title will be. Do you know who the artist is? I don't think I do. I, I think maybe I could... Were they, were they popular? Or was this the one hit wonder? They were popular in their home country. Were they popular outside of Germany? Uh, I don't know. I probably don't know. What, what is, who is it? Troll. The artist who sings this song is Nina. N-E-N-A. It's Nina. technically a band. Oh, that would never have gotten there. Nina. But the band's led by a woman from Hagen, Germany, named Gabrielle Kerner. I was going to say, I thought, okay. Her nickname is Nina. She went on a family trip to Spain when she was little, and some locals there called her Nina, and it mm. stuck with so well, not Nina. The um, Nina got lost in translation to Nina, and that stuck with her family. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good nicknames do. In the late 70s, Gabrielle was quote unquote discovered um, as a teenage disco denizen as one article called her in hagen she was asked to join the pop rock band the stripes as their lead singer Mm. the group sang in english and they never really took off they broke up in 82 the stripes record label which was cbs uh encouraged her to move to west berlin because that's where things were happening to find a new band so they sent her to west berlin and were like go find yourself a new band Okay. They also told her that she had to switch to singing in her native tongue. So they wanted her to join a band and sing in German. Sure. She was hanging out at this club called SO36, looking for people to be in her band. 
And SO36 was kind of like the Berlin counterpart to CBGB. It was uh, like the, the punk club where everything was happening in Berlin. CBGB being that club in New York at the time. Yes. For those yes. who might not be aware. Not just a t-shirt. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's where Ramones, <laughs> Blondie, Talking Heads, uh, Television, they were all playing in New York until John Vorvados turned it into a a uh, advertisement for Target. I was about to say. <laughs> well, what is the SO36 now? Did you look that up? It's still there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I know it's still there because she, Nina talks about it in an interview. She did something recently. She like filmed a music video there or something, but it's still there. Love it. Okay. Nina met a few guys at SO36 punk club in Berlin. Turned out that they all really liked new wave. And, you know, we're talking early eighties. So they're all in the same stuff. So she thinks that these are, these are the guys. So they start a band and they name the band Nina, but the band is five members. Nina was a new Deutsch Vell band. Say that again. New Deutsch Vell. Yeah, sure. New German wave, but it was a genre of West German rock music originally derived from post-punk and new wave music with electronic influences. The term was first coined by a Dutch radio DJ named Fritz Spitz. <laughs> new Deutsch Vell consists of two major parts. From its beginnings in 1981, uh, the genre was pretty much underground, mm-hmm. a lot of roots in British punk music, and it turned into a more original and distinct German style. Some of the bands really idealized urban West Germany Cold War zeitgeist and Nina was one of these bands all about Berlin nightlife all about German music I don't know if it's because her label told them they had to be more German uh, as they evidently did tell her sure well Germany has a history of wanting to be very Germany and everything they do so it's part of the course yeah and I also understand at the time while they're partially being occupied by the USSR wanting to retain their German identity and heritage. There is also another aspect, as you could imagine, of the genre that was really trying to convey a message and was talking a lot more about the Soviet influence and all the politics around that and Cold War and the things that were happening in East and West Germany. But Nina was really more of like, we're just a German rock band. So this is all to set you up for what's going to happen with this song, because this is unbelievable. The story of this song is remarkable. And I listen to 99 Love Balloons, and it's almost like I can't understand what they're saying, but this all checks out. Like, I understand why this song was such a phenomenon when it came out. Oh, yeah. What's bizarre about the song is that it got so famous being in German. And then also, it doesn't really have a hook or a chorus. It's like a bunch of verses and then a synth part. The synth part is kind of the hook. Yeah, I guess you're right. The, the synth part is kind of the chorus almost. The part that people know and would like break down and dance to. The, the end of the verse and that that's repeated, 99 Love Balloons, is really catchy, but it's not really a hook. It's just repeating part of the verse over and over again. No. Kind of a jam, though. Oh, it's kind of fun loving in a weird way, which I have to assume you're going to tell me this is like some like crazy war torn story and, and fun loving is probably not the words that one would necessarily describe. Um, maybe not quite, but I don't know. I really liked this song when I was young because you played Tony Hawk. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about that whole that whole part. 
1982, West Berlin. Yeah, do you have a, a quick primer on what is happening politically at this time for some of our listeners who may not be as scholarly on the East Germany, West Germany dynamic? So this is 40 years after World War II, part of the agreement at the end of World War II with the, the Warsaw Pact was that because the USSR helped defeat Nazi Germany, they get to keep part of Germany. And Berlin was inside of the USSR-controlled part of Germany, but only half the city was controlled by the USSR. The other half belonged to Germany, I think because Berlin's the capital, that they had to keep some of it as German. The whole, you know, the Berlin Wall is like around this whole part of Germany that's occupied, but it's still German. And that's kind of what people perceive to be the free part of Germany because it was the, the Western progressive capitalist Germany that everybody, everybody now knows and loves. There's a lot of conflict because there are people living in the same city who are under the Soviet regime and can't listen to the music they want to, can't watch the films they want to, can only you know, say and do certain things. I mean, it's Soviet Russia. So music was a big part of this uh, because... By the way, that was a damn good recap right there. We should be a, we should minor in a political science <laughs> history podcast as well. Yeah, <laughs> certain songs, they're going to bring the history. Here we are. So that's a little primer on what's going on in Berlin. It's 1982. The Rolling Stones are playing a concert in West Berlin. The German part of Berlin. And the part where you're allowed to listen to music and be hip. Exactly. Exactly. It was notable because the Stones were one of the bands that were beloved across Germany. Sure. But East German radio couldn't play them because of the restrictions from the Soviet Union. In 1969, there was a rumor spread on the radio in East Berlin that the Stones were going to play on the East Berlin side of the wall. So on the USSR side. And thousands of East German fans showed up at the wall, mm. only to realize it wasn't true. It was a signal that people in East Germany loved rock and roll, and they saw it as a symbol of freedom and expression. It was also likely coupled with the band's strong stance on pacifism throughout the various international conflicts of the 60s and 70s. In 1982, the, a ban was lifted for, in particular, the Rolling Stones in East Germany. It was a big deal that they were going to be playing in Germany sure. at all, let alone after the ban had been lifted. So they weren't even allowed to play in West Germany before this moment. They were allowed to, but this was a big deal because it was their, just their return to Germany after they're now allowed to be played in the whole country. Got it. Okay. At the show, Mick Jagger released thousands of helium balloons that all floated toward East Berlin. And Carlos Carges, who played guitar in Nina, was at the no. show. And he had just joined this band. And he was wondering while he was at the show, what happens if all these balloons crossed into Soviet airspace and the Soviets thought it was a threat? Interesting. Okay. Okay. I see the seeds of this song happening. So he thought a simple balloon could cause war because of a misunderstanding, which was actually fair to say, because also around this time was the Stanislav Petrov incident. Do you know what that is? Again, we're going into uh, history podcast territory. Let's go. We are. A nuclear early warning system in the Soviet Union reported the launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile. They thought it was coming from the United States. Turned out it was a false alarm. 
but they were on the edge of declaring nuclear war against the United States. Yep. And, and then in 1983, um, the Able Archer incident happened. There was essentially a NATO military exercise that the Soviets thought was going to be nuclear war. And then they just had to take a second and reflect <laughs> and not press the button. Let this be a lesson to all listeners that, you know, sometimes you got to take a beat, make sure you don't bomb a country. Right, exactly. I think we can we can take that advice with us. I like where, where his head's at now, or just simple, beautiful message of a balloon could cause a, a mistake. Exactly. He's thinking in his mind in this volatile, Cold War environment that anything can cause this. And he was thinking, what if these balloons that Mick Jagger released on stage entered Soviet airspace and the Soviets started war over balloons that Mick Jagger released into Soviet airspace. (laughs) So he jotted down some lyrics about balloons causing a nuclear conflict. The singer Nina, not the band, the singer Nina said that she got goosebumps all over and it was the most intense lyrics that she'd ever read. And they needed to start work on what will become 99 Love Balloons. The song expands on the what if scenario that Carges was talking about. Which maybe I would have picked up on if I spoke German. Right. Well, there is an English version of the song. There is. Who sings that one? It's Nina. They have 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 an English version, which we'll get into. And you've probably heard. I have heard that one. Which Um, is the only reason I knew that it was Red Balloons and not Loose Balloons. The way the song goes, balloons are in the air. They enter Soviet airspace. It starts a war and it destroys the plane. <laughs> yeah, as you were saying, it's really not the cheery song that we all think it is. Yeah. But that's kind of what's beautiful about it that it's this like fun song and has these really dark lyrics. Very Dr. Strangelove of them. Yeah, right, exactly. This song hit at a perfect time because it was about paranoia, hysteria. You know, everybody was feeling that, at least Russia, Europe, United States and Central America, always on edge. There were people doing, you know, nuclear drills in school. Hear all these stories from from our parents. So the song really spoke to that. The band has kind of elaborated on a little bit and they've explained that it's really a metaphor for any mistake or a false alarm or anything that could be blown out of proportion. So it could be applied to all kinds of situations. Um, By the way, I just want to take a moment. You know how you just mentioned that our parents lived through this generation where they did these drills in school. And I've I've seen video of these drills where, like, you know, they hide behind under their desks and against mm-hmm. the walls and such. And from everything I've learned about nuclear war, that wouldn't do anything. <laughs> if a nuclear bomb landed on your town, I don't think decking behind your desk would really <laughs> save your life. But I appreciate the sentiment. I never thought about that. I don't know if maybe there's some sort of evidence behind like you have a 025 percent chance of surviving if you're under your desk when an atomic bomb goes off perhaps or, or maybe if it drops like you know a good 30 40 miles away maybe you're in you're in the blast radius where you could survive underneath your desk yeah just I, th- I think they actually would have been better off spending the time listening to 99 love balloons and listening to this message mm. of not blowing things out of proportion <laughs> No pun intended. There's also a popular interpretation of this song that the balloons floating away represent the dreams of the East German people after World War II that were taken from them. Like the war is over, this terrible regime is gone, 
oh, but we still aren't free. The band has not given any indication or any discussion about that side? From what I could tell, the the band hasn't really talked about that interpretation of the song. Have you listened to Wind of Change, that podcast? Yes, I have. This made me think of Wind of Change. It does have some similarities here, which is a great podcast. Those that are are listening um, and haven't heard Wind of Change is a great podcast about the conspiracy theory that the Scorpion song Wind of Change was actually ghostwritten by the CIA in order for us to fight the Cold War via music being played to teenagers. Highly recommend it. We have this German song, 99 Love Balloons, that's about this topic that's really important to people and speaks to them, and I under- we understand why it's popular there. That totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> what we want to know is, why was 99 Love Balloons in German, a number two hit in the United States. Another number two. Another number two. A, a number two hit in the United States. Interesting. There is a story about how this song arrived on American shores. And the story goes, K-Rock, the famous L.A. rock station, was playing a lot of international new wave music. And there was a very influential K-Rock host named Rodney Bingenheimer, who was interviewing an author who wrote a memoir about her teenage experiences in West Berlin. She queued up a mixtape that she made of music that was popular right now in West Berlin. He wanted to play one of the songs on the mixtape. And she said, no, you have to play Nine Nine Love Balloons. You have to play this song. He wanted to play a different song. Do we know what song he wanted to play? I, I wish I knew. Interesting. That could have been the song we would be talking about 30 years later. If I knew the song, I'd play a clip right now. She encourages him to play the song. And lo and behold, the phone lines are lighting up. People want to know what this song is. <laughs> well, like we said, it is a banger. It's a fun, it's a fun, like, jivey song that I think if I had heard it driving in my 1982, you know, Chevy, I don't know. Probably a German Chevy back then. Uh, I'd be like, okay, what is this? This is this is an interesting. I mean, sonically, it probably fit in line more with what's happening at the time. So you would have been like, fuck yeah, I don't know what the song's about, but like, this is a fun song. Is, you you would be it would be in the wheel. Oh yeah, this song definitely fit what K Rock was playing. So I understand why people want to know what this was. They're probably like, oh man, this is such a jam. They. Help popularize the song in the U.S., even though it contained not one word of English. And American radio embraced the song. MTV put the video in heavy rotation, and it went to number two. Damn. What was number one? Number one was Van Halen's Jump. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> well, we got to take care of our own back here in the U.S. soil, so... <laughs> The German synthesizer song couldn't compete with synthesizer and David Lee Roth. Hey, I get it. I get it. Not much can. As we know, there's an English version of this song. And what's so remarkable about Nine I Love Balloons is that the English version was not a hit here. It just didn't, didn't hit. We've all heard it now, but it did not chart at all. Did not chart whatsoever. People only wanted the German version. If I remember correctly... The English version, the chorus, the 99 Red Balloons portion of it, it fits and it's fine. But the rest of the song feels forced. 
because the lyrics sonically just it's hard to kind of keep the rhythm and the rhyme up as you would in a native language yeah i think that's uh, true almost like a heavily censored song when you get the expletive version you're like okay cool i can see where they're going with this and then you get the heavily edited version it's like oh just some of those lines are forced and it just it just takes you off the, the game a little bit and doesn't feel like it fit yeah i could absolutely. be wrong if i remember correctly I only remember the Nine Nine Red Balloons portion, and I feel like the rest of it felt, I don't know, jostled, if you will. That totally makes sense, especially because the translation is not exact. Oh, interesting. They had somebody who's not in the band named Kevin McAlia. Oh, I thought you were going to say Kevin McAllister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, these Home Alone tie-ins with this song are wild. <laughs> the German version, the balloons are not red. Oh, see, I thought we were going with like a USSR red square type crossover no. here. Luff balloon is just air balloon. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Lufthansa. He needed to put a word in there so that it worked with the cadence of the song. Right, Luff balloon instead of air balloon. Right. Because Luff balloon and balloon, three syllables, two syllables, he needed to put a word in there. So he put in red. I read a couple things that I'm not sure I believe about why it was red. Both versions of the song mention Captain Kirk. Mm, okay. And it's saying, it's kind of to say that these things could be UFOs. I guess there's an episode of the original Star Trek show that has something to do with red balloons. And I read they weren't really legit sources. And both of us are Star Wars guys, so we're not going to be on the, uh, we're not going to have the, the deep knowledge of Star Trek season one. Right. J- uh, Jamie probably would be able to answer this. But it's funny because the English version, of the song didn't chart in America at all, but went to number one in the UK and number one in Canada. Oh, right. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. The German song is the only is the band's only US hit, though. They did not have another US hit. Did they have more hits in Germany? Yeah, they had hits before and after the song. Oh, okay, in Germany. Um, Hold up. By the way, and, can, can, and, we, can we pause real quick? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yo, I got another beer. Oh, what kind of beer did you get? I got a beer from our friends at Sierra Nevada. Ooh. It's the Big Little Thing Imperial IPA. Oh, oh, you know what? That's the exact beer that I'm drinking right now as Is well. It really? You know, I, I felt like that. on a Sunday night, uh, it, it would probably be my last drink, so I might as well grab the uh, the 9% <laughs> beer. I was kind of thinking the same thing, actually. It's pleasant. It's nice. Usually, do not go for Imperial IPAs, and uh, this one, kind of fucking down with. And I love the color. The color is very reminiscent of one of my favorite band t-shirts. I have a, a Dangerous Summer t-shirt that is purple and bright yellow, and I fucking love it, and I wear it all the time. I should be wearing it right now. It would match perfectly to this beer can. Um, but either way, this is giving me strong, dangerous summer vibes, and I like that. I love it. Uh, you and Dale Earnhardt Jr. love that band. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> I really love this quotation. It's from a music journalist named Penny Brazier. Great name. Great name. Penny said, Nine-Nine Left Balloons is a reliable staple of every 1980s compilation CD and the soundtrack to many a drunken wedding disco. Yet it's catchy like a cold hooks, belie a more serious political message. Mm. I mean, that really just sums up what this song is. It's so perfect. Again, we're getting a, we're getting a, a, a slight political song here. 
We are. We are. Very similar to episode two. It is. Yeah, it's like each episode kind of leads into the next one. And I didn't even do this thematically. I, I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't know what this song is about. I feel like it makes so much sense that it's German when it came out. It's talking about red balloons, that it has something to do with Soviet and German interaction. I 100% did not connect the dots. Obviously, this song came out before either of you or I were alive. I was thinking about this earlier. I didn't even necessarily put it in an early 80s German genre of any sort. I always just thought this song kind of lived on its own, like some drunk bar song, because 99 Bottles of Beer is like a stupid kindergarten song you sing. This felt like kind of on that pantheon almost. But then when you really think about it, you're like, of course it wasn't. Obviously, this is like a real song. But I always just thought it was kind of like, Nine Loaf Blooms, Take One Down, Pass Them Around. <laughs> <laughs> Not so different than just thinking that uh, Tub Thumping was a, a drunk champ. Exactly. Which it is. But this one, as far as I can tell, is really just about some Soviet dude being confused about the balloons he's saying and starting nuclear war thanks to mick jagger did, did mick jagger ever comment on the song did he know that this was written in reference to him i actually googled rolling stones nina nine i love balloons to figure out everything i possibly could that's how i landed on all the stuff about how the rolling stones were actually really important to the east and west berlin culture more so than other bands at the time. Yeah, that's how it seemed, for sure. There, there are a few articles that are just about... One of them was, Rolling Stones Rock the Iron Curtain, was the headline. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Because obviously, like, the Beatles have back in the SSR. Uh, I think Billy Joel did an album. But this, that might have been more directly with the USSR mm-hmm. Russia, rather than anything to do with Germany, necessarily, right? What about David Hasselhoff? Well, I know he's huge in Germany, but what, <laughs> what does he have to do with uh, this period in Germany? He it's... sang on top of the Berlin Wall as it was coming down. Oh, did he? Yeah, it was like his anthem. It was David Hasselhoff was there, man. So why do we give so much credit to Reagan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> David Hasselhoff did it with his bare hands. <laughs> you can find the footage of him singing. He's on top of the Berlin Wall in like a leather jacket singing it's awesome oh yeah i'm pulling up video of david hasselhoff on top of the berlin wall here <laughs> i'm watching this berlin wall footage this is 1989 so we are actually quite far away from when this song was written yeah this, that's seven years after this song came out dude this looks like the fucking dopest party ever <laughs> like holy shit uh can we also talk about david hasselhoff has a light up jacket i believe oh it's no it's definitely changing light this is just not this is not reflecting lights no, he's also wearing a piano <laughs> scarf, I believe. Not even the piano key Which... necktie. Piano scarf. Anyway, back to the song at hand here. You know, I'm probably I'm probably going to keep this Hasselhoff commentary in the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, you have to. There's a connection. Were there examples at the time of songs in a foreign language becoming hits? I'm sure there are, but not very many. Not as pervasive. This is before the Macarena. This is before Gangnam mm. Style. Those were literally the two hours. <laughs> I mean, even even Felice Navidad is half in English. <laughs> but those were like dance craze hits. There's no dance craze around this. It's just a song. Most Americans didn't know what the song was about. I'm sure the music video provides some context. I mean, maybe once it was on pop-up video on VH1, it was telling people, like, hey, this part of the song is about this. <laughs> <laughs> that show would be before its time. I would have really enjoyed that right now. To, to your point, though, and referencing what you were saying earlier, 
I think that geopolitically and in the news, people in the U.S., we're, we're hearing a lot about uh, communism, the USSR, Berlin. This is very much in the news. So the song would not have been terribly out of context. Comparing it to the last podcast we did, when Tough Thumping came out, I don't think anyone in the U.S. was watching the nightly news talking about the British dock strikes. Right. Yeah. But on the nightly news, you would be hearing regularly about the USSR, communism. But this song, if you had any sort of context, it would certainly have fit in. Yeah, absolutely. Which might help it get notoriety in this country. Yeah, and I think maybe there is a feeling around the song, it just being from Berlin, and the band's very German, and the song is obviously in German, and and the, the Berlin Wall was in the news constantly, yeah. that it just all kind of clicked, and also that Americans were afraid of the Cold War, too. Yeah. And then also the song just being in a jam. Like, can you imagine being in like an 80s dance club and this song comes on? Like, I'm going ape shit. Yeah. And I'm definitely doing drugs so, at this point. So, like, <laughs> it's, it's hitting yeah. even harder. Because you're like, fuck, yes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> to be young in the 80s. Uh, on one hand, you were afraid of nuclear war. On the other hand, Coke was pure. <laughs> the drink and the drug. Neither of us are big drug at all. <laughs> but. But I probably would have been back in the day. There's a pretty excellent New York Times article about Nina that was published in 2016. It notes that it's unusual that American listeners preferred the original German, but it does also touch on the fact that the song was kind of part of a trend in America that they called kraut pop. Kraftwerk was huge at the time, and it really swept, you know, the American underground. And a lot of bands were very influenced by Kraftwerk. David Bowie had released his Berlin trilogy of albums, yeah. and Americans were very interested in Berlin after he had done that in the late 70s. Peter Schilling's Major Tom Coming Home was a hit, and that song was originally in German as well. Also a David Bowie connection. Falco had their big song, Der Kommissar. I really like this quotation in this article from Rob Sheffield, who is been an editor at Rolling Stone for a long time. I've always liked his writing. He said, Germany embodied the spirit of roboticism for American new wave kids. Sure. American kids fantasized about Berlin the way German kids fantasized about Detroit. Oh, wow. Which is also interesting with the house music connection that was about to happen between those two cities. So this song has quite the legacy. Uh, it was actually named the number 15 best song of 1984 by Rolling Stone. And I liked a lot about what they said in that article, too, that at the height of Germany's anti-nuclear movement, two years after Chernobyl left radiation across the nation, six years after reunification, West Berlin, New Deutsche Welle cuties imagined how Neundenzig balloons floating over the wall might turn the Cold War hot. In the B-side's English translation, its title seemingly references the 1956 French art film short, The Red Balloon, which I didn't see that anywhere else either except for this article the war machine springs to life and the city turns to dust aka the abandoned post-atomic wasteland tomboy singer nina strolls across in the video her musicians gave marshall krautrock a synth funk bubblegum bounce and the hmm. german version barely missed topping ugly america's imperialist pop chart regardless <laughs> just like <laughs> epic music writing right there that is <laughs> Taking some liberties, I like it. Which I think is a 
great time for us to watch the music video. That's it. For Nina's 99 Love Balloons. Here's the official video. It's not on YouTube. I wonder what the story is there. Wait, did you say Putin sang it? Or, uh, I don't know. Putin's stopping us from watching it. Oh. I like this, uh, I like her look. I like the vest she's got on. Nina was a style icon in Germany, and a lot of girls in Berlin were mimicking her style exactly. Like, there were a bunch of girls walking around Berlin just dressed as Nina. Pretty cool. I'm pretty sure that bass line is actually synth, but they had the bass guitarist play it in the video because it looks cooler. Love that. Because keyboard, uh, keyboard bass just doesn't look cool. <laughs> Although, of course, that little slap pluck part, the bam bam, is real bass. What's happening in this music video? She's walking around. There's a lot of smoke coming up behind it's her. It's like a lumber yard. It looks like. Yeah, this looks like it was done in the cheap punk. So it makes sense that in the video they're not all red balloons because the song is not about red balloons at all. <laughs> right. Yellow balloons. There's blue balloons. There's red balloons. There's purple balloons. Because the song's not about red balloons. Oh, there's an explosion. Oh, shit. There's a hole. Oh, yeah, here we go. This is where they spent the money. Yeah. Ooh, oh, shit. wow. Oh, there's like huge mushroom clouds. But like these are actual explosions. They blew this stuff up. So perhaps this music video actually makes a lot more sense. It starts out very innocent. And then there's a lot of explosions, which is what the whole song is about. An innocent mistake. Balloons going up. War starting. Yeah, it makes sense. And now she's in like a, a like a Christmas tree forest. I'm getting like Sigaros vibes right now. Some post-apocalyptic <laughs> world. What's also remarkable about this song is that it's one of those songs with a false ending, where you think the song is over, and then she comes back in with the synth is it? and sings the the verse again. I'm waiting for it now. I'm in anticipation over here. So this song is in countless films, countless television shows in America. And at least one video game. And at least one video game, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, <laughs> Boogie Nights, Watchmen, Gilmore Girls. Apparently Lena Dunham gets drunk to it in Girls, which she kind of gets drunk to every song in Girls. <laughs> it also, notably, is in a Bob's Burgers episode. The end sequence during the credits is slow motion shots of the characters being splashed with water balloons, accompanied by the cast singing 99 Red Balloons the English version. There is a fairly famous cover of this song in the United States that I believe is what turned me on to the song, although I think I'd heard the song and seen the video before, so that when I heard this cover, I was already like familiar with the song, but this cover really spoke to me. I really liked it. And you alluded to it earlier. Multiple times, because this is the reason that I know the song so intimately, because I played the fuck out of Tony Hawk. This is the reason that you know the song. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm sure that I'd heard the German version. I probably did. I knew I'd heard the German version before because I knew that the song was a cover of a German song. Or or I knew this was a song with a cover of like an old 80s song, I should say. uh, When I heard this song, this version. Who sings? Is it a... It is pop punk ska band Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Fucking love Goldfinger. Yes, of course. What's notable about their cover is that they sing it in both German and English. That's right. Yes, they do. In the song. I saw Goldfinger and the Pie Tasters at the Trocadero when I was younger. Shout out to my Philly boys. Wow. Yeah. R.I.P. Trocadero. I've been to the Trocadero. Yeah, that's, man, that's a big ska show. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I went through a phase. <laughs> so Goldfinger did a lot of covers, but this cover in particular, I think, was pretty pervasive because one, it was in Not Another Teen Movie. Oh, okay. Great movie. That whole movie. I think the whole soundtrack is like pop punk bands doing eighties songs. I also remember this song being very frequently downloaded by friends on the P2P file sharing services. And I remember frequently it would say the file name would be Goldfinger 99 Red Balloons, not another teen movie, dot mp3. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you know this next cover because it is by a band that I know is one of your all time favorite bands. When I was researching the song, I was like, we have to play this. I'm sleeping at I don't think I've ever heard this. I'm not surprised. I mean, he did a ton of covers in the last, like, five or six years. Yeah, it's very, like, ethereal, which is why I love Ryan and, and what the music he does. Fuck yeah. It's also been covered by Kylie Minogue. It's been covered by the punk band Seven Seconds. It's been covered by multiple international pop acts. Safe to say that a lot of people love the song and they've played it many, many times. I did see one article that was interesting that was talking about all the covers of the song. And it said that the use of German or English is important with these covers because it helps us decide whether the cover is a cover of Nine Nine Love Balloons or Nine Nine Red Balloons. Interesting, yeah. said, some versions use both. <laughs> There's also a viral video from a few years ago that I need you to see. Uh, this is 99 Red Balloons performed on 99 Red Balloons. And this has 7 million plays on YouTube. <laughs> oh, like like someone actually uh, or played with, oh, played with balloons. Oh my god. Uh, they played the song on Revelin. I mean, of course someone did this. <laughs> but. <laughs> this is oddly satisfying. This guy, Andrew, has a lot of time on his hands. But, I mean, he's also got a lot of views on this song, so. Or on this video. <laughs> this is. <laughs> God damn, this is overwhelming. I'm kind of great. Yeah. You get the idea of what's going on there. The band broke up four years after this song. They broke up in 1986. They recorded two more English language albums Interesting. after this song. I don't know why that was the move, because the German version was the big hit. But yeah. I also think it's kind of shitty for your record label to say, hey, go find some guys and make a band. You can only sing in German. And then they have a German hit. And then they say, all right, all your next albums are in English. Well, welcome to the music industry. Misogyny and bad ideas. <laughs> welcome to the music industry where the games don't make sense and the points don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> they called it quits after multiple international tours. Gabrielle went solo, still going by Nina. So sometimes when you see music by Nina, it's the band. And then other times it's just her, hmm. which I'm sure there are other musicians that are that way. Oh, I think there's a lot of times when it happens like contentiously where there's like a key man clause and someone owns the rights to the name. Key man clause being when it says in their contract that certain people have to stay in the band. And if they leave the band, the band is no longer 
Nina has had quite the prolific career since since the song and since the demise of the band. She has appeared in multiple films. She's done voice acting. She's written several books. Damn. And several of the other members had careers in film, mostly in composing and scoring. And uh, hmm. some of them have composed music for films that we've seen. So after some years kind of off the scene, Nina rebooted her career in Germany, and she actually topped the pop charts in 2005 with a song. She is also a coach on the German version of The Voice. No, no way. Nina came to the United States in 2016, and that's what prompted that New York Times piece that I said was really interesting. Huh. And believe it or not, that was the first time she's ever toured the United States. No shit. Yep. Had a number two so hit. So they never came. Had a number two hit here and never made it. And it's funny because she says, not playing the United States was simply an oversight during the song's heyday. I was not pushy about it. She said, we didn't even realize we hadn't played America because we just played everywhere else in the world. Wow. Which I kind of like that America was an oversight. It was like, yeah, they already like the song. We'll just be touring everywhere else. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, we think we're the fucking too. shit over here, so. Yeah, we already think we're the center of the music universe. That is the story of Nine Nine Love Balloons. I recognize kind of the, the lineage of the song, if you will. and But now when you step back and think about it, it's like, this song really was revolutionary in a lot of ways and it obviously affected so many people that they continue to cover it continue to sample it but it's it's again yeah, like you said it's a funny song like why once we explore why these songs got so famous it all checks out like it, it makes sense it's time for the mail everybody this is where you can you can shit on our last episode <laughs> yes you can tell us what we got wrong we do a lot of research leading up to these episodes. We received an email about the last episode, and you can email us anytime, ywahpod at gmail.com, or tweet at us at ywahpod. And we had a listener email us to say, just listen to today's episode. Super interesting, as the last one was. I was folding laundry and feeding the baby, so I might have missed it. When you guys talk about the horns, I don't think you touched on the fact that Chumbawamba was playing the Prince of Denmark's March. I didn't see a ton about it on the internet, but I did find this piece, and they linked to an article that is about how Chumbawamba's tub-thumping samples the Prince of Denmark's March, a classical tune. Well, I guess I didn't research that song. You did, Ted. So do you tell me how you missed that? Uh, I was probably drinking while I was researching and missed that one. <laughs> Key points in the story. You got knocked down and didn't get up again. But here I am getting knocked down again by our listener, Chris Riley. And uh, I'm going to get back up again. I'm going to come back next week with a whole new song. A lot of research. I'm sure I'll miss something. And we'll we'll do this all over again. Before I get a mailbag from my own wife, Jamie wanted to inform us before we started recording the episode that she knows the song from... A particular film. Nine Nine Luff Balloons is played in the 2000 Mary Kate and Ashley movie, Our Lips Are Sealed. I think I vaguely remember this movie. The version of the song that plays in the movie is the Goldfinger version. Of course it is. Because Mary Kate and Ashley were also Tony Hawk Pro Skater fans. I gotta say, Goldfinger really milked the hell out of that cover. It's in a lot of stuff. I don't think I'm watching the right scene. This scene's ridiculous, though. At the very least, I am happy that 
this episode about this iconic German song led you to watch some clips of Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen films from the year 2000. We're tearing down walls here everywhere, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, I think this song is one of the most iconic foreign language songs that has ever reached the United States. And I think even people singing the English version, it goes to show how famous the song is because the English version wasn't even the popular version. So now we all know the English version because the German version was so popular that now both are kind of interchangeable. Again, thanks to Goldfinger. Yeah, again, I am I am kind of perplexed to my own self for not trying right. to put this song in any sort of genre or time frame box. This song has always just kind of lived in its own pantheon. Like I said, it was kind of like a... I always thought it was sort of a... It's like an old folk song. He almost, yeah. And then like Goldfinger covered it. I've heard people sing at karaoke, and I, I haven't been to a karaoke bar in... Jeez, the longest that I've gone without going to a karaoke bar since I was a teenager, probably. I can't remember. Do people sing this in English when they sing it in karaoke bars, or do they sing the German version? The great question. I have certainly heard it done as well. I feel like people do the English version. I think it's safe to say that when we are able to go sing karaoke and essentially spit all over people and all over the same mic with each other, I'm going to sing 99 Rebel Rants, and I'm going to have a great time. Are you going to do German? Are you going to do English? Have you heard me pronouncing the German stuff in this episode? Yeah. I looked up the pronunciation for several (laughs) of the things that I said in this episode, and I still butchered them, and I feel bad about it. So... I'm going to sing the English version and I'm going to think of, I'm going to think that I'm in Goldfinger. I'm probably going to skank a little bit. I'm probably going to maybe, maybe do some, uh, some air palm meeting. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you're probably going to wear some, some Chuck Taylors and checkerboard pants. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted to Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting 99 Muff Balloons or 99 Red Balloons out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. We welcome any suggestions for songs for future episodes, so bring them on. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.